It's easy to get a seat, and so you've got it held for them. They're going to meet you there. They said, hey, I'm running a little late. I'll be there right at 7 o'clock. And uh, 6.55 rolls around. So you're like, all right, they, surely they're going to be coming sometime soon. Um, 7 o'clock rolls around. They're not here. 7.05 rolls around. You're starting to get a little worried, checking your phone. 7.10, they're still not here. And so finally, 7.30 rolls around, and here they come. And uh, they come and they, they sit down next to you and like, I've, I've just gotten up to, to preach and man, it's like, what are you doing here? So late kind of thing. And you, and you lean over to them and you're like, hey, what is going on? And they respond to you and go, I got hit by a bus on the way here. <laughs> That's a weird thing to hear, huh? Like, what do you mean you got hit by a bus? You just walked up these stairs and came and sat next to me. Like, you look fine. What, what do you mean you got hit by a bus? The reason that that would seem kind of weird for us to hear is because each and every one of us know that if, if you're in a position where you get hit by a bus, there's going to be a lot of things that look different about you after the fact, right? Because there's no way that you can be hit by a force like that and stay the same. That's our sermon tonight. There's no way that a believer in Jesus could be impacted by a force so great as the gospel and stay the same. If, if you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear there's no way you can experience the goodness of the gospel for yourself and stay the same. And this is what Paul writes about here to this church in Colossae. Paul would, he would, he's, we're going to read it here in a second, but he's basically going to say, hey, they don't just know the gospel. They like, they get it. They're building their life around it. They understand it, he says in verse 7. And, and I think for us today, there are a lot of people who know the gospel. Like you could probably tell me, you, you could probably do a pretty good job of sharing it with somebody else, but just because you know it doesn't mean that you understand it, that like it means something to you, that it is changing who you are. And so tonight we're going to talk about what a life that has been impacted by the goodness of the gospel looks like. We're going to talk about some symptoms of a life that has been impacted by the gospel of Jesus. And uh, really what I want to give you tonight is two areas that should look different because of the gospel. Two areas that should look different because of the gospel. And I'm just going to tell them to you up front, okay? There, these two areas are, one, the gospel changes us. And when I say us, we're going to talk about how the gospel changes us collectively as a body of believers. But not only are we going to talk about how the gospel changes us, we're going to talk about how the gospel changes me. Like you as an individual, how do you look different because of the impact that the gospel has had in your life? So let's jump into Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading um, in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this which you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us 
your love in the Spirit. Let's stop right there, because there's a lot of things that we're going to have to go through and, and unpack there. Basically, what, what Paul is getting at here is this is opening address to this church. And he says, man, we are praying for you. We are thankful for you because we can see that you're different, that you as a church are different. And that, that leads us to the first point that I, that I mentioned to you, that the gospel changes us. Paul, Paul tells the Colossian church, he's like, there is something about you that looks different than the rest of the world. And it's very clear. And really what it is, is, is uh, it's two things. I'll go ahead and tell you up front. It's faith and love. But before we jump too specifically into those things, we just need to start, start by looking at the fact that here, the church looks different because of the gospel. Like, that's an important thing to come to terms with. Uh, we need to realize that the goodness of the gospel should cause the church to look different to those on the outside looking in. Because of the gospel, the church, it should not look like a social club, a, a gathering, an on-campus group. The church should look different. There should be something about us that is not like any other groups that get together. And that thing, start, for starters, it's our faith. Our faith. That's the, that's the first way that the, the gospel changes us as a body of believers is through our faith. It says that in verse 4. Paul says, well, I'll start in three. It says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. It's pretty significant that that's where Paul starts, right? Like he says, the way that the church looks different is because of their faith, to which you might respond and go, well, yeah, like, isn't that what church is about? Like, don't, aren't we here because of our faith? Yeah, you're completely right. That's exactly why we're here. Uh, but here's the thing. I think, though, while we, would, while we would agree with that, that faith is the whole point of church, we can very easily lose sight of that and make church about other things. We can make church about things like worship, like, like we show up, and really the reason that we're here is because we love the worship songs. Or maybe we can make it about community. We love to, to show up and hang out with our friends and the, the people that, uh, you know, we, we kind of grew up with in church or, you know, maybe just meet some new people. To us, it could get about the community. Uh, other people, maybe it's about the experiences, right? There are a lot of churches that do some really cool trips. Like maybe you get the opportunity to go on a mission trip or like to the Holy Land or all of these different things. Maybe church can, get, uh, can become about experiences. Or, or maybe for a lot of people, I think this is it, church can just become about you like it can become nothing more than a way for you to be encouraged and like charged up and up and uplifted and, and don't hear me say that those things are wrong like those things should be a part of church but those should not be the foundation of the church like the foundation of the church the thing that should come first is the gospel the the things that that we do as a church, take place because of the gospel. It's not like uh, the way that we do things is, it's like, man, I'm so excited about, about the worship, and, and so you show up, and, and you sing these worship songs and all this stuff. Oh, and by the way, like we're going to talk about the gospel a little bit on the back end. It's not like, oh, man, I'm, I'm so excited to go to church so I can hang out with, with other people and uh, you know, get to know them a little bit better, maybe meet a future wife. And by the way, like we're going to talk about the gospel uh, on the back end. Like that is not at all 
what, how church is supposed to go. The gospel is the reason we're here. We, we worship because we are a people whose life has been changed by the power of the gospel. We're in community because we're a people whose life has been changed by the power of the gospel. Everything that we do as a church, as the, lo- the local church, is because we are a people who have been changed by the power of the gospel. And the reason that I think we see people who, who come to church and it's just kind of like a quick flash in the, of their life is because I think that what happens is uh, to them, church is about something other than the gospel. Because listen, if church is about to you one of those things, uh, let's say it's about worship, then man, you're going to come and for the first few weeks, the worship is going to be incredible. But after, you know, however many weeks, you're going to go, that song again? Are you kidding me? Like, we sing that every other week. Or, or maybe it's about community. You know, if you make church all about community, you're going to love it at first. You're going to meet some new people, and then you're, you're going to go, man, them again? Like, I'm tired of seeing them. They, they're not that good of a friend to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, if church becomes about anything other than the gospel, what we're going to be left with is dissatisfaction. The place that we should look for for our satisfaction is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that he has changed our life from the inside out. And everything that we do as a body of believers is because of that truth. That's what church is about. Church is not just about faith. The, the, the thing that, should cause, that the gospel should cause us to, uh, to show is not just faith. The gospel should also cause us to look different by the love that we show, by the love that the body of believers shows. And you might say, well, love for who? Love for who? Well, look in in verse, uh, I believe it's verse four. So it says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. You're like, the saints? Like the football team? It's not the football team. the, The saints, don't say who that. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a bunch of Hurt Falcons fans in here, aren't there? I forgot about that. I'm sorry. Listen, don't, no. <laughs> so look, when we, see, when we see that word, the saints, we, we do need to ask, like, who, who, is, who are we talking about there? Who is it that the church is supposed to love in light of the goodness of the gospel? Well, we can fast forward down to verse 13, and there's another clue. That word saints is used again. It says, actually, it's in uh, verse, uh, verse 12. It says, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. If a bunch of people together receive an inheritance, you know what's true about those people? They're family. That's that's how it works, right? Like if a bunch of people collectively together receive an inheritance, the reason is because they're a part of the family. So the first group of people that the Bible says that we should love in light of the gospel is the family of believers, the family of those whose lives have also been changed by the gospel. Because of the gospel, the people of God are a family. And because we're family, y'all, we treat each other like family. So when you hear like church language, when when you hear the, the church say things like, yeah, we do life together, you know? Like that's not just a cliche, it is cliche, but is that statement actually means something. We do life together because we're family. 
Like that's how we're wired. We should look different. We should have love for each other because of the goodness of the gospel. And so because of the gospel, because of our love for one another, we do life together. We bear one another's burdens. We serve one another. We're generous with one another. This is why we do small groups. We do small groups not so that you can like meet new friends and you know, start little clubs and stuff around your college campus. We do small groups because we're a bunch of people who are broken, whose lives have been absolutely radically changed by what Christ has done for us on the cross. And because of that, we need to get together and grow deeper in our relationship with him. And so we're going to do that by loving one another because we're family. The gospel doesn't only produce in the church, though, love for the family. The gospel should also produce in the church love for those outside of the family. Because, see, if we ever get to the point that the only love that we show as Christians is love for people within these four walls, we're missing completely a massive piece of what the gospel should be doing in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, matter of fact, when, when we love someone, love, it, it starts with wanting what's best for someone, right? Like love is wanting the best for someone. And the best thing that you could ever give to someone who doesn't know Jesus is the gospel. And that's what we see here in this verse. The love that comes from the gospel results in the gospel continuing to spread there in the church of Colossae. It, it continues to spread. We, we see that there. Um, let's start reading uh, in, in verse 6. It says, which has come to you, again, the gospel has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. In other words, what Paul's saying there is, hey, the gospel, like it's, he's, he's letting them know it's spreading around the whole world. But I also see it's spreading there in Colossae. Like your church is growing, the love that you have for people outside of the family is also evident. So how do we love those outside of the family? We share the gospel. And I think this is an area where most of us, including myself, are oftentimes so guilty when it comes to loving other people. Like we're quick to say that we love other people, but I mean... If you were to ask me how many times I've shared the gospel with someone in, in the last however many days, months, weeks, like my answer would disappoint you. I, I'm telling you, I, I'm a fellow struggler in this. Uh, but here's the thing, and I've been so convicted as I've, I've, as I've studied for this. If the gospel really has changed your life, if it really has freed you, like, like if you really do believe that Jesus left heaven, came to earth, as a man, to save you from your sins and that you have eternal life because of it, how unloving is it to keep that to yourself? How unloving is it to, to keep that to yourself? So something y'all need to know about me, many of you might probably already know this about me, um, I am like the best marketer that a business could ask for, okay? Like if you've got some little side hustle, um, We'll talk, okay? Because I'm like, I will advertise for your company. Here's, here's what I mean. You're like, what are you talking about? Here's what I mean. When I go somewhere and experience something that I love, like I'm going to come to you and I'm going to tell you about it because I want you to experience the same thing. If I go to a restaurant that I think is incredible, I'm the kind of person that like I'm dragging you to the restaurant kind of thing, right? Like I want you to experience it for yourself, 
here is one of my most proud moments in this arena, okay? There is a, a, a friend of mine and Leah's, a couple friends of mine and Leah's, um, who they, they were newlyweds, and uh, I told you guys week one, something that Aaliyah and I love uh, is cruising. And this couple, like, they were thinking about going on vacation, and so here, here I am. Again, I'm like the best marketer that any business could ask for. So I'm like, let me tell you about Royal Caribbean. They had never been on a cruise before, and literally, I, I convinced them, because I was so passionate about Royal Caribbean and cruising as a vacation for a couple, I convinced them to drop like thousands of dollars on a cruise vacation, take seven days off, and go on a cruise. Like, if you ask me, that's kind of impressive, right? Like, I, it's just something that that is true about me. But here's the thing. You would probably agree that there's a degree to which it's true about you, right? Like, when you love something, when, when something really changes you, you just can't help but talk about it. Like, you just can't help... But share about it. And for me, y'all, again, I told you I was convicted about this. If I'm so passionate about a cruise that I could move a newlywed couple to drop thousands of dollars, take off seven days, and go on a cruise, like, I have no excuse. I have no excuse for, for the fact that the gospel has changed my life, and I struggle to talk about it, and it's free. Like, it doesn't cost a thing. I have no excuse. We have no excuse. I listened to this really interesting video uh, by a guy named Penn. I don't know his last name, but he's on this magic show thing. Uh, it's called Penn and Teller. Maybe that like will ring a bell for you. Uh, but basically, relatively famous guy. Um, and again, his name is Penn, and he's giving this... Um, after a show one day, he's giving this like um, post-show uh, VIP tour thing, and at the end of it, he's, sh- he's uh, signing autographs, okay? And so he's uh, signing autographs, and he notices this guy kind of standing off uh, to the side, and the guy finally comes up to him, and um, he-, he just starts telling him about how much he loved the show. Like, man, it was incredible. Like, you're so talented. This trick was my favorite and all this stuff. And Penn's uh, on, he's on, this is a YouTube video. He's filming himself on his phone, like, recounting this story. And he's talking about how, like, genuinely interested this guy was with him and how he's, like, making such great eye contact with him and, like, he was invested in him. And, and Penn continues to tell this story. And the thing you need to know about Penn is he is a very outspoken atheist, like, like very outspoken, world-renowned atheist, speaks out all the time about how he does not believe in God. And uh, he talks about this guy, and he says that this guy, was, he was standing off to the side, comes up to him, and he's telling him all this stuff, and once he gets done telling him all these things, he says, I brought something for you. And he pulls out of his back pocket a little Bible. It was Psalms in the New Testament, one of those little Gideon Bibles. And he says, hey, I, I wrote something in this for you, and he hands it to him. And Penn was so moved by that transaction that he goes and he films this video. And he's recounting this story. And what he says about it, like after he's done telling the story, like struck with me. It was like the best sermon from an atheist that I had ever heard in my life. It was crazy. He said these words. He said, I was struck by the way that that man treated me. He goes, How much do you have to hate someone to have the secret to eternal life and not share it with them? I mean, it it literally moved him. He was like, he was struggling to speak in this video 
because he was, he was so moved that he noticed in this guy that he genuinely knew that he had the secret to eternal life, and he just couldn't help but share it. And Penn goes on about how most Christians, man, we sit here and say, we, we know the answer to, to, to life. Like, we have the answer. We have hope for heaven one day, but we don't share it. How unloving is, is that? There's no way you can truly experience the goodness of the gospel and not love other people enough to share it with them. So the gospel changes us together as the body of believers, but the gospel also changes me. That's our second point tonight. The gospel changes me. There are some things that should look different about you as an individual if you've made the decision to place your faith in Jesus, because of the goodness of the gospel. Let's read together in verse 9. It says, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So what we see there in, in that passage is that what Paul is saying, he's, he says, I'm praying for you that you will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, with, with uh, spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, what, what Paul is saying there is, I'm praying uh, that you will come to know deeper on a, on a completely another level the truth of the gospel. That's what he's getting at. And he says, I'm praying that over each of you as an individual in the church of Colossae, because I know that when the gospel truly does impact you, that something different is going to come out of your life, and that something different is a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him. And if you notice at the end there of verse 10, there's a colon. That colon is going to begin a list of a few things that Paul, again, I told you these are themes that he's going to be hitting on in this letter. This, this colon is going to give us a list of things that should look different about our life because of the way that the gospel has changed us. And the first thing, uh, we find it in verse 10. It says, right after that colon, it says, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. This is to say that for the believer, the gospel should drive you to action. The gospel should drive you to action. See, a lot of people think that in order to be a Christian, uh, or, or they think once you become a Christian, that your job is then to start to do good things. They think that either you have to do good things, good works, in order to become a Christian, or they think that once you become a Christian, that's automatically your job is to start to do good works. And we know that the Bible says the complete opposite. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, uh, Scripture makes it incredibly clear that it is for grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not of, your, it's not of you. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one can boast. In other words, there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation or keep our salvation. So why in the world does Paul say that a life changed by the gospel results in good works? Well, it's important in the words there that he used to say it. He says, bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. When's the last time that you've seen an apple tree, like, straining really hard to produce apples? You haven't. One, because it's a tree. But also... 
because that's what it does, right? There's a reason that when you walk into the grocery store, like the fruit and the vegetables, there's a reason that's called the produce section because it's what's naturally produced. If you want something that's manufactured, you have to go to a completely different part of the store. The thing about fruit is that it is a natural byproduct of whatever tree or whatever that thing grows on. It just comes naturally. It's produced. So what Paul is getting at here is that when it comes to the follower of Jesus, good works don't happen out of obligation. We don't do good things. We don't serve other people. We're not generous because of, because of the fact that we're obligated to. These things are simply a byproduct of connection, of a life connected to God. Good works are the natural byproduct of a life connected to God, a life that has been transformed by the gospel. Let's keep going. It says uh, that one of the things that would look different about us because of the, the gospel is that we bear fruit. But the second thing that it tells us is found in verse 10. It says it right after um, we're, we're bearing fruit in every good work. It says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Another way that the gospel changes you on an individual level is that it places within you a hunger for the things of God. The gospel, if it, if it has changed you, it places within you a hunger for the things of God. When you come to see how good the gospel is, you'll have a deeper desire to know the God at the center of it. I'm going to say that again. When you come to see how good the gospel is, you'll have a deeper desire to know the God at the center of it. If it has truly changed you, you're going to ask questions like, man, who is this God that loved me so much that he was willing to send his own son to die on my behalf? Who is this? I, I need to know more about him. I want to know more about his character, who he is. I need to know how he's changing me. Like you're going to have a desire to know him more. I think about it like this. So uh, my wife and I, if we, uh, there's been a few times in our relationship uh, that we've gone out to eat and uh, someone has like covered our, our tab for us, our meal, right? This happened um, specifically, like I remember we were talking about it one time whenever I was, uh, we were like in high school, maybe like young college, um, and we were out on a date and we're uh, sitting there, we're talking, and the waitress comes up to us and they're like, hey, just want to let you know, someone has actually covered your meal tonight. And uh, actually, they ordered you a dessert, and it'll be here just uh, here in a few minutes. You know what we didn't do after we heard those words? We didn't go, okay, awesome, sounds good, thank you so much. Anyways, back to what we were doing. You know, like, that, was, that is not how we responded, right? You know what we did? And this is what you would do. If you've experienced this, you know how it goes, right? She tells you, like, really? Wow, okay, awesome, thank you. Walks away. Do you, do you see anyone? Look over my shoulder. I'm going to move. You just look over my shoulder. Do you see any? Like, is it someone you know? Is it someone I know? You get a little taller in the booth, like stretch a little bit, try to peek over the divider thing. Like, you want to know who it is, right? You, you want to know who is it. You want to know what on earth compelled you to do this incredible thing. You, you want to know, like, it, d did I do something for you and just forget about it? Like, what is going on? You see what I'm getting at? 
they did something incredible for you, and your initial reaction is to go, who, who, who did that? I, I want to know more about this. I want to know more about this person. How much more then should a God who gave everything for us, how much more should our response be to go, I've got to get to know him. I've got to get to know who he is, what he's like. I need to know more about him. Like I will do anything that I have to do to figure out more about the way that he's changed my life. And I want to share it with other people. And the incredible thing about this is, is, is what we just sang. The more we seek you, the more he shows us. The, the more I seek you, the more you show me. It's an incredible promise in Scripture. And that's why God gave us his word, because he wants us to know him. There are not many books in the Bible, y'all, better than Colossians for getting to know Jesus. Like I'm telling you, if you, if you flip through the, the future weeks, every single title of every single uh, sermon that you're going to hear starts with the word Jesus, because Jesus is at the center of everything in this book. If there is any book that I believe that, like if, I were, if someone were to ask me the question, who is Jesus, I, I am pointing them straight to this book because it is all about him. And so if, if that's you, like man, if, if the gospel has so changed you that you want to know more about him, this is where you start. I'm, I'm telling you, join us in spending the next eight weeks in this book. The third thing is this. It says it in verse 11. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for, for all endurance and patience with joy. The third thing that uh, is different about us when we've been impacted by the gospel is that we're strengthened. We are, we are strengthened with power, and this is primarily the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. That is the, the Holy Spirit's role in our life. If you've made the decision to place your faith in Jesus, then according to Scripture, the Holy Spirit now dwells in you, and you have his power working in and through you. You have the same power in you, according to Scripture, that raised Jesus from the dead. There is now no weight of sin that can keep you in bondage anymore. There is no circumstance that you have to fear anymore. There, is, there are no words that are spoken over you other than the words of Jesus that have any power over you anymore because your power now rests in his power, the Holy Spirit working in and through you. It says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. His power is available to us. And this is Paul hinting at the main theme of the rest of this letter. I told you, he hints at these themes throughout this letter, and it's the sufficiency of Jesus. That because of the power that we have that rests in the Holy Spirit, we do not need anything else for this life. Everything that we need for this life is found in one place, and it's in him. You've been given power to live the life that Jesus has called you to live because of the gospel. If you have placed your faith in him, the question is, are you using it? Are you relying on the Holy Spirit when you're in that moment of temptation? Like, like when you're tempted to look at that screen one more time, are you relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to be the thing that causes you to say no? Or are you relying on your own power? 
Are you relying on the power of the Holy Spirit when you receive that piece of news that absolutely rocks your world? Or are you relying on your own strength? The Holy Spirit has given you power to live the life that you cannot live on your own. It's the third mark of a life that has been changed by the gospel is that we're strengthened with power. The fourth and final thing is this, that we give thanks to the Father. We give thanks to the Father. In verse 12, it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I'm just going to finish this out because it is so good. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it's because of that that we give thanks to the Father in everything that we do. That is the most basic, all-encompassing response to the gospel is thankfulness. Uh, It's that we remind ourselves of the work that Jesus accomplished on our behalf, and our response is to be overwhelmed with gratitude. You know, that was like a common thing in the Old Testament, that followers of Jesus, followers of Yahweh, uh, they were uh, basically commanded to do, is to remember the works of God in their life. Like, they were commanded to do so. There's this incredible story in Joshua, uh, I believe it's chapter 2, 3, somewhere in there. Um, But it is the Israelites crossing the Jordan River. They're on the edge of the promised land, and uh, they come to the Jordan River, and they discover that it is the one thing standing in between them and the land that God had promised to them, and it is in flood stage. Like, it is full-on rapids and things that they cannot pass on their own. And so God does what God does. He parts the water. He allows them to walk through on dry land. And the first thing that they're commanded on the other side of that river, once they've stepped into the land that God has promised to them, is God tells them, hey, go back into into the river, onto that dry land, and I want you to grab 12 smooth stones. And I want you to pull them out. I want you to set them up as a monument for me so that one day when a father and a son are, are walking and the son looks at the dad, this is in scripture, the son looks at the father and says, hey, dad, what are those? what is that pile of rocks over there for? The dad would go, son, let me tell you about the Lord and his faithfulness. Let me tell you about a God that parted the sea so that we could walk through on dry land. God implores his people to remember his works. And the reason for this is because we are, as, as humans, man, we are quick to take the, work, the works of God in our life for granted. To forget the works of God is to fail to worship God. To forget the works of God is to fail to worship God. And so our thanks to God, our response to this incredible gospel, looks like worship. It looks like spending time in prayer. It looks like celebrating the works of God with other people. The mark of a life changed by the gospel is someone who gives thanks to God for who he is and what he has done in your life. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite the band to to come back up as, as I start to land the plane. There are some ways that we talked about tonight that the gospel changes us collectively. And there are some ways that we talked tonight about how the gospel changes each and every one of you individually. And 
If you have experienced the saving power, the, the incredible, amazing grace of Jesus, then those things should be flowing out of you. And you might ask yourself, like, okay, I mean, if you're like me, you, you hear those things and you go, I'm kind of like missing the mark in some of those areas. I mean, I'm right there with you. Does that mean that, that I'm not saved, that I haven't actually placed my faith in Jesus? Well, not necessarily. Um, it certainly could. I mean, if you have never made the decision for yourself to place your faith in Jesus and follow after him with everything that you have, if you haven't made the decision to place your trust in the fact uh, that he died for your sins, was raised to life, defeating death, defeating sin, if you haven't placed your trust and your faith in that, then, yeah, it, it's, it's obvious that these, these things should not be flowing out of you because you haven't experienced the goodness of the gospel like, like we've talked about tonight. But for a lot of us, for believers in the room, I think that the primary reason that some of these things may not be true of you is because when it comes to the gospel, you've just allowed yourself to grow numb to it. You ever get in those seasons? Like, like you, you realize, man, I'm just, it, it is hard to wrap my mind around the incredible news, the, 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 good, the good news of the gospel. You ever been there? Like, I genuinely believe that that, is such, uh, that that is such a reason for us as believers that we would not be seeing these things uh, manifest themselves in our life. It's not that you haven't accepted it. It's not that you don't believe in it. It's just that you, you've gotten to a place where you go through the rhythms and the routines of following Jesus without truly reminding yourself of the gospel. And that's why it's so important, y'all, to keep the gospel at the forefront of our minds, to preach it to ourselves daily so that we do not grow numb to it so that we can remember how good it really is. One of the first and foremost ways that we can allow ourselves or get to the place that we don't grow numb to the good news of the gospel is to remind ourselves what we've been saved from. Like where we were before we experienced grace, what the Lord has brought us out of. I used to work at a summer camp, um, and we had this, this big lake. And so uh, I was not a lifeguard, but there were a lot of people who were lifeguards um, that could swim far better than me. And um, one of the lake attractions that we had uh, was a diving board. We, there were two diving boards. And um, I, I want you to, I just want to kind of paint a picture in your mind. I want you to imagine that little kid, you know, let's say five, six years old, goes up to that diving board, knows how to swim. Super confident, cannonball, big splash, and you look down as a lifeguard and he's just flailing around in the water, struggling to keep himself up, splashing all over the place. And so as a lifeguard, you know what to do, tweet, 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 jump in kind of thing. So you get, you get in there, you pull him out, you lay him down on the, uh, on, on the dock, he's just coughing up water, finally kind of comes to, and you're like, hey man, are, are you Okay. And he, I want you to imagine that, that that kid looks at you and goes, what were, why'd you do that? I was enjoying my swim. Like I was just floating. What would you do as a lifeguard? Like you'd probably toss him back in and go, all right, figure it out then, big boy, right? That's an example 
of what it looks like, how, how crazy it is to be in a place where you don't realize what you've been saved from. Like when you get to a place where you just kind of thought, oh, I was okay. See, see, here's the thing. When you don't recognize the thing that you have been saved from, all of a sudden, that grace that was, that was shown to you, that cost that was paid for you on Calvary, it looks a lot cheaper. If you don't remember what it was that you've been saved from, what God has pulled you out of, that is the goodness of the gospel. That's where it was found. That I was in a place in my life, man, where I struggled with addiction and all of these different things. I, I could not save myself, but God pulled me out of it. I was blind, but now I see. That's where you will find these things becoming manifested in your life when you realize what you've been saved from. So some of you tonight, you, you need to, for the first time, place your faith in Christ and experience the goodness of the gospel for yourself. But others of you tonight, man, you're, you're a believer. You've already made that decision. Tonight, you need to remind yourself of the gospel. You need to remind yourself of what you've been saved from, who you were before, and the incredible work of the Lord to pull you from that place and seat you next to him for all of eternity. You need to remind yourself of how much the gospel has changed the, traje the trajectory of your life. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. It's called The Goodness of God. Uh, to me, no better song uh, to respond to a sermon like this, a, a word from Paul about how the gospel should change everything about our life. And so, man, if you are one of those people who you have made that decision for yourself, this is an opportunity for you to remind yourself of the goodness of the gospel. To remind yourself of what you've been saved from and the goodness that God has shown you and continues to show you and will continue to show you for the rest of your life because you have placed your faith in him. I'm going to invite you all to stand. I'm going to pray for us and then let's sing together. Father, we love you. Lord, we're so thankful for another opportunity to worship you. God, I pray that tonight as, uh, as we sing, Lord, it would be out of a response of the goodness of the gospel in each and every one of our lives. Thank you that we no longer look the same, that God, we, are, we don't do the things that we used to do because we're not who we once were. Lord, we're so, so grateful for the work that you accomplished on our behalf. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.